Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Art of Money podcast, where I share honest conversations about how money influences our personal experiences, beliefs, and relationships, infusing this taboo subject with a loving dose of dark chocolate and inspiring encouragement. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, which is my flagship program, year-long money school, and global community. Integrating money healing, money practices, and money maps, The Art of Money is my holistic framework, blending therapeutic, body-based practices with the real-life tools you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your relationship with money. So you can say goodbye to that dusty old budget and hello to healing your money life. Learn more on my website, barrytesler.com. For now, grab something to sip on, get comfy, and tune in to today's episode of the Art of Money podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Art of Money interview. I am really jazzed about this one today. I don't Jazz hands is a big thing for me growing up as a dancer, but that's what was coming up today is I'm really jazzed about getting to interview Jason Gaddis. And Jason is someone that I know in my local Boulder community. There's a lot of therapists around here. And I'm going to start by reading a short little bio, and then I'll have him jump in and introduce himself. And then we'll, you know, I'll tell you what we're going to be talking about. So Jason Gaddis is a relationship expert and sought-after coach. He is the founder of the Relationship School, an impact-based company dedicated to helping people work out their differences and have fulfilling long-term partnerships. Jason is considered a world leader in love, conflict resolution, and interpersonal relationships. He's the host of an extremely successful podcast with almost 3 million downloads and over 250 episodes and has interviewed the very best in the world, including, he's going to jump uh, in. This is where I jump in. Yeah. Uh, people like Gabor Mate, uh, Dan Siegel, Stan Tacken, um, Peter Levine, um, Terry Cole, Alexander Solomon, you, um, many just awesome, kind of the, the big luminaries in the relationship space for the most part. Wonderful. Any other women? Pat Ogden. Yep. Pat Ogden uh, was a good one. Oh, tons. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Christine Hassler, Bar Marnie Batista. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. And this is why I've invited him on today is because he is the author of a brand new book called Getting to Zero, which will be published on October 5th. And I'm so excited for you, Jason. I can't wait, you know, to Thanks. talk about conflict. It's a huge topic. It's so important to learn, you know, how to get to repair. And I can't wait to share your book with everyone that we Thanks, all need it. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I'm so psyched to be here. So let's start with you sharing a bit of a snapshot of family and I'm calling them hobbies lately because in my fifties, like you need to, it's your passions, you know, what yeah. are you doing on the side? and your work right now. Give us a little snapshot. Yeah, I mean, my hobbies are 
not many these days. Uh, yoga is one of my hobbies and anything in nature, bike riding with my kids, walking in nature, um, camping when I get a chance to do that. And really it's about family and, and my mission for me. Um, lots of time with family and lots of time working, trying to help this planet. So please share a little bit more about your beautiful family that I know. Yeah, uh, so I've been married 14 years to my wife, Ellen, and together about 18 with a couple bad breakups in there uh, before we got married. And two kids, 10 and 12. My son is 12 and my daughter is 10. Great. You have a beautiful family and you guys you. do amazing adventures together. And, you know, I'm going to be reading a little bit of snippets from your book. But one of the things that stuck out to me is when you were talking about your kids and how you were saying it's very important in your household that they go to bed on time and that you don't pay, give them an allowance, you don't pay for chores. And the third one was that they, you know, that they learn how to um, do conflict resolution. Yeah. And that they've been doing that for years and you have them on your podcast and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's all that's super important to me. And um, they're at some point going to get pretty annoyed with mom and dad um, doing <laughs> doing sort of teaching them how to work through conflict, right? Uh, but it's sure. like, it's kind of a relentless practice, really, when they get into a fight. I'm like, guys, you know what to do. And then Ellen or I, we sit down with them and make sure that we're back to repair back to what I call zero back to a good place. And so they're, they always know that uh, things will get resolved They're, They don't have to sit in anxiety and fear or dissociation wondering if someone's going to come back around and make it right again. Like, you know, we might've grown up with. So that feels, I think, really safe to them. And then they can, it frees them up to do what they need to do or want to do with their life. It's incredible life skills that they're getting at such a young age. Yeah. Yeah. And last year when we were homeschooling our son who just turned 13. So when he was 12, I had him listen to, one of your podcast interviews where it was with your kids and it was yeah. your son and daughter and they were sharing what it's like for them when conflicts come up and how do they work through them and what are the feelings and how do they do it and when they need to take space and the whole thing was so inspiring to me it was one of the lessons hmm. and then Noah and I had to my son Noah had and I had to talk about it afterwards yeah. yes nice. that's yeah. so cool yeah I remember you getting an email or something from you so thanks for the support there yeah it was cute yeah. and they had some I think wise things to say. <laughs> they do. They do. I mean, it's very impressive. It's, it's really, you know, we, my family is so much to learn from your family. So one of the very first things I read in the book, I'm going to read a little quote. Wouldn't it be interesting if you could show this part of yourself and your dating profile, my bio might read, Hey, I'm Jason. And when I get triggered, I'll blame you and then shut down for days. Want to get coffee? <laughs> my guess is we all be single. You know, and yeah. my version of that was like, hey, I'm Barry. And when I'm in romantic relationships, when I get triggered, I want to fight. You know, like yeah. I want to verbally spar, you know, <laughs> and I get I get really puffy and big and you don't know, want to have coffee. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So from there, you know, tell us why are you so excited about conflict work? How did you get into it? What compelled you to study this? And let's you know, let's hear some more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, years ago, I mean, my whole life I've, I've struggled with conflict. 
I was that partner that would push away conflict and avoid it at all costs. And so when a woman had a need or wanted to have the talk or something that was uncomfortable, I, I just, for the most part, pushed them away. And then I also got in, you know, fistfights and a lot of really kind of aggressive situations I found myself in over the years. This is before I started working on myself and I was very into blaming other people. Um, and then, you know, I just, once I started learning psychology and met people like you and started becoming a therapist back in the day, I was noticing that not only are the roots of a lot of the mental health problems and the problems with my clients that I was seeing are relational in nature, but they're, to take it a step further, it's like, well, what about relationships? Well, turns out that either in their childhood or currently, there is a conflict that either isn't resolved or got handled really poorly, or there was a lot of trauma with between two people, parent and child, or person, adult and adult. So I started over time to zero in on that um, area. And um, I'm not, I don't, it, it's funny, it's like I, I love conflict in terms of a vehicle for transformation, but I personally don't love being in conflict with anyone. Mm -hmm. um, it just, I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't like how I feel and my wife and I are off and we're in a snag. I, I don't like any of that, but I'm motivated to get to the other side. And I have learned and worked really hard to, to find, I think, some of the best tools from some of the best teachers to try to get to the other side in a good way. I appreciate you saying you don't enjoy it while yeah. you're actually in it. Like who does? Yeah. You know, it doesn't yeah. feel good. It's uncomfortable. It's yeah. it's awkward, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but it was so painful at some point for you that you were determined to research this and come up with tools so that people could actually get through it to what you call the repair part. Yeah, yeah, you, and e exactly. Yeah. And, and even in a lot of the personal growth circles that I was in, and I was in a spiritual community for a number of years, and I, even with all the tools, it's like people still don't know how, and I kept seeing over and over how it wouldn't really get resolved. And I was always like, what is up with this? So I, I got just even more committed to being like, no, I think there's a better way. I think we can actually do this. And so I, this is my best attempt at, at that, solving yeah. that problem. Yeah, it's an amazing attempt. So please talk a little bit more about this concept of getting to zero because this is what you're describing as like, this is the repair process of like being totally escalated, being to completely triggered. And we'll get more into some of the details because I'm going to go through some of the concepts in the book. Yeah. But just on the surface, like, what does getting to zero mean to you and a little bit more about this repair process? Yeah, so zero is just a metaphor for getting back to a good place. It's um, just saying, let's get to a baseline where we both feel good again. And if anything is above a zero, one, two, three, up to 10, 10 being the peak of our activation if we're in a fight with someone or a distancing kind of silent thing with someone else, that our activation in our nervous system can get up to a 10 and we want to do our best alone and as a team to get back down to zero, which is, okay, we're connected again. I'm with myself. We feel good. We can get back on with our lives and whatever we were dealing with, um, the other challenges in our lives. So that's zero. Okay. And okay. Let me, let me go into some of the content here and we'll keep coming back in. So one of my questions is define conflict. And then please start to talk about what causes these ruptures. 
have a, I have a quote here that says, what causes us to disconnect in the first place and make, and makes a sacred animal freak out? Like, what is it? Quite simply, conflicts are at their core triggered by feeling threatened, whether it's your sense of emotional or physical health, their safety or identity, your values, your morals, your property, or your loved ones. None of us likes to feel threatened, especially with things we value or care about. When we feel threatened, our sacred animal reacts. Scared animal. Our, oh, our scared animal. Oh, yeah. I kept throughout the book, I kept calling it sacred animal and had to go back and go, wait, he's saying scared animal. Yeah. Scared Not animal. things. Okay. Although it is probably pretty sacred that we each have this crazy scared animal living inside of us. Um, yeah. So you, like you said, it's um, conflict is a rupture, a disconnection or an unresolved issue between two people. That's how I define it. And it can be silence. So silence is like a disconnection where you don't text me back uh, for a couple of days or even hours. If I have a fear of abandonment or if I have an anxious attachment style, that's going to feel like conflict to me. I'm going to feel activated. I'm going to feel upset. I'm going to come at you with some energy, wanting to get the connection back and wanting to know that you're not leaving me, right? So conflict includes things like that. And uh, generally, human beings, are because we're social mammals, we don't like it when someone's either moving too close to us or they're pulling away from us. That are Those are the two primary energies that create stress in the scared animal and, and have it on guard and have it start to disconnect or posture, collapse, seek or avoid as a way to protect itself. And this is a very normal part of our nervous system. There's nothing wrong with any of us doing this kind of behavior. It's like, this is normal. And depending on what we grew up with, it can, it can look, you know, quite extreme in some of us and quite kind of stale and flat in some of us, uh, depending on our nervous system's kind of wiring. Yeah. And so, um, our job is to learn how to work with that scared animal on a regular basis by myself. It's always good for me to do it alone and in relationship with the other person because it's actually can be more efficient if we're working as a team to calm our scared animals. So it's good for people to, to know how to self-regulate and interactively regulate to get us back to zero. Can you give a few more examples of what it looks like too much closeness or too much distance? And yeah. 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 So we, we kind of, uh, the too distant one is, is the obvious not texting on uh, silent treatment that a lot of people call the silent treatment that might just be a person being shut down and unable to communicate. That's misread often as a very threatening thing to the other person. So that's too much distance, too much closeness can be things like, um, let's say you're needing space, Barry, and I'm, I'm anxious and I keep coming at you to have the talk and the conversation. Well, at a certain point, you might get pretty triggered by me kind of constantly wanting to have the talk or just in your space. Um, that's too much closeness, me raising my voice, um, slamming a door, things where uh, I start to encroach upon your sense of well-being. And it's not the thing that's going to have you regulate and calm down. It's the thing that's going to actually put you in the other direction. So this is where it's essential for us to know, are you more of a uh, avoider or are you more of a seeker? And because both can be threatening to the other person, depending on what your style is. And we can be both in different situations, yeah. in different moments. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I call them like conflict styles. Okay. There's, there's four of them. There's seek, avoid, there's posture, collapse. Um, it sounds like if you like to fight, you're more of the posture type. Um, if that's you, you know, it's one of my strategies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we we're, we wire we're sort of wired to to gravitate in my experience to one or two. 
of these. Yeah, let's talk about those. That was next for me. So the four disconnectors, posture, puffing up, collapse, getting small, seek, invasion, avoid, distance. Yeah, so posture is like, think of a porcupine. It's you, you sort of defend yourself as a way to protect yourself. The quills come out and collapse is like a hermit crab. You go kind of inward and shut down. Seek is like a, a golden retriever that is anxious that the owner is not paying attention to it. And it's kind of like, hey, hey, wait, what about me? And what about us? And then the avoider is, is more of like a feral cat. That's like, don't pet me, don't touch me, don't get near me. Mm, okay. <laughs> So yeah, tell me, I mean, so here's a quote I said, by getting to know which disconnector or disconnectors you do, you'll be able to recognize disconnection more quickly, which then helps you reconnect faster. You can also let the people closest to you know what your typical disconnector pattern is so they are better prepared to deal with you during conflict and you can be more of a team. Yeah. So yeah, talk about this more just individually, you know, just how do we bring awareness to this so we can learn? You know, do you think people can identify themselves quickly? If they just bring awareness to this, um, you know, how do we talk about this, you know, in our relationships? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, I think it's really good to have these kind of conversations and, and back it up. So a lot of couples, for example, or business partners, they don't have terms or agreements about conflict in the first place. Like, is it okay? Um, what do we do when we get stuck? Um, what, what are the boundaries here? What's okay and what's not okay in terms of voice raising and door slamming? And like, how long is it okay for us to go without having a conversation about it, making sure we're okay again? So I think anyone listening can, can just ask themselves right now, do, wow, do I have that kind of setup in place with the people that are most important to me in my life? And, and, and I call them high stakes relationships and that's family partner, business partner type of people. Um, yeah. And, and then once we start to create some agreements and I have a whole chapter on how to do that and what those are, um, again, they're guardrails, right? So when we get really in it, we can relax into what we agreed upon and we can have the view that conflict's a doorway. It's an opportunity to get stronger, get to know myself and you better. And we, we know that conflict itself isn't a problem. It's uncomfortable, but we're not going to make conflict bad and wrong. And we're not going to avoid it anymore. We're going to actually move toward it and learn. So these are all kind of mindset things we can do. And then we can get more tactical once we're inside of it. And also afterwards, if it go, went poorly, what we can do to recover and reconnect. You're normalizing this, you know, this yeah. is, this is normal in your world, but I'm realizing it's a missing piece in certain relations, certain high stakes relationships that I have. Yeah. Yeah. And even mm. in the community guidelines for my program, I just went over them again and they're wonderful. You know, we've, uh -huh. we've had those guidelines established for, you know, two decades and we just keep updating and fine tuning, but there's really nothing about when there's conflict, what to do, where do we go? How right. do we respond? How do we get help in those moments? Yeah. Um, and how do we come back? When do we need to take space? You know, all these things yeah. um, that need to be included in yeah. those guidelines, in those agreements. I, I mean, I think it's important and it, it can be tricky to, um, I don't know, set that up sometimes if, if no one really knows how, right? Um, you obviously have a lot of chops because you of your training, but people get, they just get scared here, right? We, we get scared 
we get lost, we don't know what to do. And then when we're upset, sometimes it's just easier to kind of point the finger, triangulate, get someone on my side, and then just kind of move on, you know? I get a little relief because I got to vent to a friend. But, you know, again, depending on how important this person is to you, I would say if it's an inner circle person in your community or in your team or whatever, it's high priority, right? That we want to have tools and techniques. The, the, the wider the circles go out of our friendships and relationships, we get to choose. It's like, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm not going to get into it with this person. That's fine. That's actually okay too. Uh, but in hey. your primary relationships, man, it's, it's vital. And I, yeah, I'm a big fan of having some kind of basic framework for people. Okay. I even had, um, I heard you in the last year or two talk about this, where sometimes when a conflict happens with a close person on your team or family, and the conflict is raised or one person says, Hey, let's, let's get into this. Let's talk about this. You know, let's, let's share our sides, you know, and really hear each other out. And when, and you said, sometimes one person's just not up for it and they're like, I'm out, you know, and that tells you, it gives you a lot, a lot of information. And I had that happen in the last year. I lost a team member because I wanted to really talk about something challenging that happened. And she was like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to. And I was like, Oh, okay, right. we're done. And thank you so much for everything, but we're done. Like if we can't get through this conflict and really hear each other out, we're never going to get to the other side. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And and I like to honor those people's choices and you, what's cool about what sounds like happened is you you get to move on in part ways. And it's like, it's very clarifying uh, as you're kind of alluding to here that we get to start to see who our friends are and like who our people are. Right. And it's amazing to me how many people will continue to be in partnerships where the other person won't come to the table and you know, at the very least own their part or learn a little bit. Um, that's very frustrating. That can feel excruciating if you're in that situation. And um, it, it can be hard to extract yourself from those relationships, especially if your finances are joined and kids are, you know, of course. And, you know, again, I'm a big fan of you, you can't actually get to zero unless the person you're in conflict with is on board with at least trying to to attempt to make it happen. And if they leave your life, you there are things I suggest in the book toward the end, things you can do in your own heart to try to get to zero with yourself without them. Okay. So we can definitely do that. But man, when we are living with someone day in and day out, it's like, to me, it's required. Let's back up a second, because you're reminding me of a story in the book that came up over and over and over where the person, there was conflict. It was all being swept under the rug. One person, you know, was more in the blaming, but they couldn't even go to their partner yet to have the conversation. They were just terrified of even approaching the discussion, which was a conflict, which was uncomfortable. They couldn't even get to the table. Yeah. And you talk about that as like two shitty options. And then there's a third option. Yeah. And so you have to do that before you even see, is the other person on board? Are they on the same team with you? Are they willing to look at their part and own? Will you just talk about that, that how scary it is for a lot of people to even approach some of these hard gene conflicts? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're a conflict avoider uh, in any way, shape or form, um, you're setting it up that you have two shitty choices. And I call them choice A and B. And so choice A is you have the courage finally to speak up and say something, but you're you're afraid that it's just not going to go well and the relationship could end, right? They'll feel criticized by you. You'll feel criticized by them. 
things will go south, no more relationship. So that sounds like a shitty choice, right? Because that's how you are seeing it in your mind if, if you speak up. Choice B is, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. I'll minimize it. I can suck it up for another couple months or years, and but I'll I'll betray myself in the process. So I'm either gonna go be choice B is shitty because I lose my relationship with myself. Choice A is shitty because I might lose the relationship with the other person. So people stay stuck here for years and decades because they're frozen. They're like, I don't know what to do. And and basically when you're stuck, you're kind of choosing choice B. So the third choice that I introduce in the book is choice C, which is to take choice A with courage and enter conflict. So it's choice C for conflict and courage. And by having the hard conversation, we get to find out if our fantasy is really true or our nightmare in our imagination is true by just saying, you know what, my relationship to myself is too important. I want to be in integrity with myself. I'm going to say something now. It ain't going to come out perfect, but I want to bring it up and broach the subject. And we risk losing the relationship. But to me, that's better than, you know, losing my relationship with me. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, so, so what are even some suggestions on how to start that? Uh, can we send an email? Can we send a text? Right. No, 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 no. <laughs> Here, here's how you, I, so I have a rule. Uh, never fight over text or email, but what you can do is set it up over text or email. Okay. And so I text you and I say, Barry, I'm feeling kind of scared uh, and upset in our relationship. Are you willing to meet me on Zoom or meet me in person? Boom. And then the, I, I can get a yes or a no or a maybe or whatever and work it out from there. But I'm not going to get into the content. If you say, what's yeah. up? What's wrong? I say, I'm not going to talk about it over text or email. I have an agreement with myself not to do that but I'm happy to get on a Zoom call or meet you in person. Will you take some time with me to do that? I care about our relationship. Hmm. So I'm kind okay. of setting the context and I'm setting it up as an invitation. I'm, I'm leading with uh, the consent and an invitation versus any kind of blamey comments about them. Right. Yeah, and then once I enter the, the conversation, the first thing I wanna do is not share myself and my story, but listen. Okay. So the first move is to listen to you. That's my first move. I'm going to listen to you and be like, hey, something happened between us. I think we're both aware of it. I just want to listen and see if I can understand where you're coming from. Mm. And then I make a commitment. I call it LUFU, L-U-F-U, that I'm going to listen to you until you feel understood, L-U-F-U. Okay. Okay. So for a lot of us, this is going to be, you know, relearning all of these yeah. things that we've done and these bad habits, just habits, yeah. right? Yeah. And, you know, it's reminding me of, you know, I, I, I say to my community, like, please don't, when you get the credit card statement in the mail and you're horrified that your partner spent money in, in a particular way, that's so different than how you would ever do it. Don't go running to them, you know, while they're in the shower right. or right before bed or like, you know, just don't do that. I, you know, certainly I've, I've done all these things, you know, and learned that that's not the best approach. And a great approach is to say, ask for permission would now be a good time, right. you know, to talk about this. But I even like what you're saying even more, you know, this thing is up with us, you know, when would be a good time to yeah. talk? When about are you available? When are you available? Okay. Yeah. Number yeah. one. And, and I could, if it's again, high stakes, I could say things like I'm feeling really, um, scared, disconnected, hurt. And I want, and I want to get to the other side with you and I want to figure this out and I'm so committed. So I can say both a one feeling word if I want, totally optional, and I can reassure them 
that I care about them. I'm invested. I want to figure this out. You're also, you know, going back to agreements we've already talked about that will be in place, but, you know, I've never said to, let's say my husband, I want to get through to the other side, like, you know, in a really hard conversation, just naming that, yeah, setting that intention that we're here until we can get to the other side, yeah. even, if, even if we need to take breaks. Totally. We're in this until we get, you know, to zero to the other side. Yeah. That's a game changer. Yeah. It's very reassuring, right? It, it is. Yeah, yeah, some, some of us need to hear things like that because especially if we have an anxious kind of style and we have a rejection button that's really vulnerable for us or an abandonment thing, we're going to misinterpret their facial expression, their tone of voice or anything as you're leaving. You're out. You don't want to be with me anymore. You're, you're done. You're, you're so over me. That's just how those types interpret that. And the other side of that is someone like me, who's, who's going to say, I'm out of here too soon, too yep. quick without completing. Yeah. Is uh, Then I hold myself accountable. I've said, we're here until we get to the other side. So when I start, you know, being like, I'm done, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of here. I'm done. You know, yeah. Um, then, then I, I'm, I can remember what I've already committed to. Like, yeah. And, and your friend or partner can, can remind you gently if you need a reminder, mm-hmm. Hey, I know you're done. And do you remember we had an agreement that, um, you're not leaving just, just so I know, like you're not leaving. Right. Mm. I don't know. I'm, I'm out of here. And it's, it's, so it's like, we can try to remind each other. And also if we're going to say I'm done, cause we get to say that, I don't recommend that cause no one likes threats of any kind, yeah. especially when the stakes are high. But what we can say is I need a break or I'm done for now. Right. And I'm committed to finishing this later. Yes. I need 24 hours. I need to sleep on it. I need a couple of hours. I need to go on a walk. I will come back. Yes. You know, time limits are really helpful. Some okay. kind of I'm coming back. I call it an agreement to stay in relationship until this thing is done. Mm-hmm. But you're okay with space, you know. So you're okay with space. Space yeah. is totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. We some of us space is very helpful. Um, yeah. Especially if we're slower processors, we need time to even articulate and figure out what's going on because we're maybe dissociated or we're so in it that we just can't um, figure it out. And the person's want to talk, 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 talk. It's like, hold on, I I need a breather here. I need a little space. Okay. Hmm. All right. So here's another piece that comes up in your teachings. And I know we're moving quickly through all of this. So there's stories in the book. There's also exercises at the end of each chapter, which I was kind of peeking at, you know, really good questions to sit with and journal with, give yourself more time with. So here's a piece. The final component of your relational blueprint is how conflict was modeled to you when you were growing up, whether that's family of origin, mentors, teachers, culture. Yeah. So, you know, most of folks, this may be obvious, but let's talk about it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, we all come into the world a certain way. We got whatever download we got 24-7 by the big people that raised us. And that was often caregivers and parents, grandparents, whoever. And so that becomes the template. And however they did conflict, whether it was really aggressive or really silent, doesn't matter. That's You're going to be responding to an adult partner in your adult relationships similar to either how 
you did it as a kid or how it was modeled to you. Um, and it, it depends on, you know, probably a lot of factors that I, that's a little bit of a mystery to me. But when you think about entrainment, it's like if I'm around you enough and I'm a kid, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to entrain and kind of vibe with the parent, right? And I'm going to learn what the parent likes and dislikes. And that starts to create my relational blueprint. Yeah, and then of course we naturally find ourselves with someone that triggers us into some of those early uh, memories in our body and our nervous system. And it's going to feel like we married our parents or it's going to feel like I'm back at home again. I'm in trouble because my partner is always, you know, criticizing me or whatever. And that's not, again, none of that's a problem. The problem is you don't know how to deal with it and work with it and work through it together as a team. And so that's really what I'm trying to help people with here. Yeah. So I, I want to hear more about triggers now. And then, cause you're, you're giving, you're, you're, you're giving us a blueprint, right? You're giving uh-huh. us a blueprint yeah. how to walk through, like how to learn what we learned from our family of origin, um, what was modeled to us? Are we doing the same? Are we doing the opposite? Or, you know, do we find someone that is like a parent or, you know, has the opposite strategy? You know, I think that's most couples. We marry someone, we get into a relationship with someone who has such a different approach, such a different strategy. Completely. Right? To yeah, us. it's perfect, right? It's a perfect storm. It's a perfect storm, <laughs> right? So share a little blueprint. I mean, share, the whole book is that, but the blueprint of setting up the agreements, um, saying, I'm going to, you know, make, you're going to stay in this until you see it through space is okay. You ask, are you available? Is now a good time? Um, maybe this question about triggers, like talk to me about the concept of triggers and how they come up in the middle. And this is the middle section of this blueprint of like, you know, we have the container we have, and then what happens when the triggers actually happen and what are triggers? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I have two chapters. One is about um, how to be with my own triggers. And it's an essential, again, life skill, I think, is how do I be with my pain, my upset, my discomfort, my emotions when things are hard in life? I mean, all kids need to learn this. I think all adults need to learn this. It's a very, very good life skill. Um, And I can talk about some of those. And then there's how to be with your triggers when you're upset. And a trigger is basically some action, inaction, or behavior that triggers my nervous system to turn on and go from zero to one to two to three to up to 10. Mm -hmm. I get triggered on that trigger scale, I call it. And depending on my style, right, my conflict style, I'm in a posture, collapse, seek, or avoid uh, away from zero. And now I'm like, I'm disconnected and I don't know what to do and I'm scared and I'm I'm in kind of a, some kind of hypervigilant state or some kind of um, collapse or whatever. And the work then is, uh, if I'm with someone, uh, let's say an intimate partner, how do we get to zero? How do I regulate myself? How do I help you regulate yourself? How do you regulate yourself? How do you help me regulate myself? You know, like we're in this together. And I, the metaphor I use, use in the boat in that chapter is two boats. Uh, you know, just cruising through the ocean. We, when you partner with someone, business partner or intimate partner, you're tying your boats up. And you're saying, I think it's actually better to travel together than alone. So then if that's true, uh, you need to you need to learn how to travel together and be a team, even when it's stormy and even when there's water coming in the boat and there's holes in the boat. It's like, oh shit, how do we how do we get along out here? And it's just again critical. And I'm going to be better at dealing with your activation and your triggers if I have more capacity with my own. Mm-hmm. 
I used to shut down women's that I was dating's emotions because I couldn't be with my own. That was why I was so uncomfortable with their emotions because I, I didn't even know what an emotion was in me. Mm. Right. So our capacity grows the more we can just be with our inner life, our inner experience and sensations and emotions. And I have a meditation that I call the Nestor meditation where I just walk people through how to, in two minutes, how to just sit down and be with that uncomfortable stuff when you're triggered. And the idea being the more you can be with it, the, the more um, it kind of goes poof and it sort of dissolves. Mm. Uh, if you go right into the middle of the fire, uh, it sort of dissipates like any meditator will tell you. Yeah. Yeah. So those are, I mean, I could drill down into any of those if you want. Yeah. But. Yeah. And so this is where we get into both of our, or my somatic work, right? And I, I call it a yeah. body check-in and we give folks the somatic tools right from the beginning. Like this, this yeah. is how you begin, right? Is yeah. how to track and name what is the set of emotions that are coming up or what are the sensations or what are the thoughts, right? Or where's yes. breathing and you do another layer of it. It's, it's, it's say it more, like describe yeah. it more. Is it, what's the discomfort? What, yeah. How do you, yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that meditation. Yeah. So there's two parts. It's self-reflection and self-regulation. The self-reflection is, you know, once I'm regulated, I can reflect on kind of my history and stuff like that. So I can talk about that in a sec, but the self-regulation is like you, you're saying here, it's somatic work basically where I, I go through uh, an acronym called Nestor because I'm holding my experience like a nest and my experience being the egg, my uncomfortable stuff is the egg and my awareness and my heart and mind are the nest. And the N is for a number. So you go zero to 10. Where am I at in my trigger scale? Just pick a number. Uh, e is emotion. What emotion am I feeling right now? S is sensation, hot, cold, low back hurts, knee aches, you know, whatever the sensation is. S, uh, that sensation. T is thoughts. What am I thinking about right now? I'm judging Barry because, man, she's in a, you know, we're in a fight and I'm just, she's wrong. That's what I'm thinking about. Um, R is resource. Where do I just feel okay right now? Um, could be my breath, could be my feet on the floor, my butt in the chair. And that short meditation can help at the very least help you begin to regulate like what's going on and be with it and go, okay, I'm just going to breathe and just be with all of this. And then when we come back together in five minutes or five hours, I can actually check in with the nester and actually tell you, Barry, I'm a two. I've had some time to calm down. I'm feeling a little scared, and but I'm more relaxed and I feel some heat you know, in my chest, I'm still a little tense here, protecting my heart from you. And um, I'm, I'm thinking about getting to zero here and I'm, I want this to be better and I feel resourced uh, in my legs. So I, I could do that if I wanna, if we wanna have that kind of sharing going on. It doesn't have to be that, you know, granular. It could just be, you know, a brief summary of the nester is fine too. I love that this is a combo of you know, going into somatic, checking in with your body, the layers of that and bringing in the witness. Yep. But it's also then you're inviting yourself to regulate or find the place where you're resourced. So it's a combo platter, yeah. which I, I love these two together. I, yeah. I, I love this process. This is not just cool. check and body check in. It's also, um, knowing that you are resourced, you know, or trusting yeah. you can find that or believing. Okay. Yes. 
Yeah, because we it can feel so we can feel so in it that we're like, no, no, this is the worst thing in the world. I'm out of here, and we just like globalize our experience, and I'm bad or they're bad. It's all bad. Yes. But, you know, hold on a second. You you're a human. You've been walking on this earth for how long? You you have resources. You you can talk. You can like breathe. You can. There's a lot you can do here. Uh, so I definitely challenge people to find that resource, and then we can go into self reflection, which is another step where that I do frequently, which is okay, Ellen and I got into a fight or a snag, what just happened? When did this feeling start? What does it remind me of? And I have a series of questions in the book like that. That's like, have I ever felt this way before? What am I really scared of right now? If it's true that I'm a scared animal and I'm in conflict and my numbers are three, that implies that I'm scared. What am I scared of? Am I scared of judgment? Am I scared of her leaving me? And I can just sit quietly and reflect. I can journal about like what's going on here. And then later, Ellen and I might actually collaborate and say, yeah, what was going on with you there? I don't totally get you here. I want to understand because man, your tone of voice was very intense. And I'm like, I didn't understand your anger. Like what, where does that come from? And, you know, we can actually be curious now, now that we're starting to get to the other side. Okay. So what you call self-reflection, I might call owning it, you know, taking the, but uh-huh. you need to self-reflect. Yeah. Sometimes I'll be like, God, I wish this person would just own it, own their stuff. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, oh, and I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm so on board with my part, you know? Yeah. And so, but it's, you know, we need to do that for ourselves, but it's, you know, hoping that the other person has the skills and we'll take the time to do this as well. Yeah. Um, and thanks for saying the, the responsibility part, because as I'm self-reflecting, that's definitely one thing I want to ask is what is my part? So that yeah. when I come back, I can say, honey, my part is and fill in the blank. Yeah. Beautiful. Can you give a few more examples of the resource moment? Um, you said, you know, we're all resource, but give a few more examples of what that can look like for someone yeah. in that moment. Yeah. yeah How in particular. Know? Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah, when, um, if we're really in it, it just means we're having a hard time finding a resource. It doesn't mean there is no resource. Uh, And then, you know, in EMDR, the training years ago, I learned in trauma training that when a person can't find a resource, a really good thing to do is create an imaginary place that you go to in your mind. And that actually is very resource. That can calm the nervous system. If I put myself on an island or in a cave or in my room, I bolt the doors, I put a couple of lions outside so that I can start to feel safe again and start to relax. And I, if I go really deep in the visualization, my nervous system can change. So we can even create a resource like that. We can also have an external resource like a person's hand, a pet, a dog, a cat. Um, those can be very regulating to have physical contact with another mammal or a person. That's also another way to help my scared animals start to relax. We were at the end of an estate planning journey recently. Oh yeah, we did that too. Oh my God. Oh my God. The paperwork is just- Dude, I was lost. (laughs) Yeah, completely lost. And just the, the questions are- you know, they bring up so much about yeah. your partner's death, your death, who will be the guardian of your child after you've died. You know, it just, yeah. you think about the future. It's, it was so hard. It was really incredibly hard. Yeah. And in one of the, not the final meeting, but almost the last meeting, I, I, I was trying to do a body check-in and I, I couldn't get anywhere near my body. No. I was like, oh, now I'm checking my phone. 
Um, and, you know, now I want to go running out of the room. Oh, now I want, you know, and then at some point, my husband Forrest put his hand on my back. And that oh, was, yeah. you know, his hand on mm -hmm. my back yeah. for a few moments and me welcoming it mm -hmm. and receiving it um, helped me calm down, helped me get a bit closer into my body and in present moment. And I think I stopped checking my phone, you know, nice. after that. So that was yeah. the mammal to mammal, you know, connection. That's that so cool. Exactly. Really, it's that kind of thing. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, I love this. So let me just reiterate this a bit. Um, you know, there's um, the agreements and guidelines that you talk about before, then in the middle of the trigger moment, then there's, you know, I would say like body check-in and you would say, Nestor, you know, mm -hmm. is that Nestor? Yep. Yep. And go through that, that meditation process, which is the combo of the body check-in witness and finding a resource, which is helping you self-regulate. And yep. then from there, you can move into the self-reflection. What is my part owning it? Then you can move into <laughs> the collaboration together and the curiosity of like, what was that? <laughs> and Nice okay. summary. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Well, I love summaries and I love, yeah. I love having like, you know, a framework that yeah. we practice day yeah. in, day out, totally. you know, and mess up and do it again and learn from it. Exactly. Will you share um, just a teeny bit more about what you were just sharing? I love this was, and you were starting to talk about this, this, this exercise of who's the person I'm in conflict with? What did they do? Like writing their name down and what did they do? And this is you off by yourself, you know, yeah. and the feeling you get when you're with them and the trigger scale zero through 10 and your part and just speak yeah. about that. I love that. And I was like, oh, that is just such a good journaling exercise to do with yeah. conflicts in your life. Yeah. So early on in the book, I call it the conflict box. You just draw a box like a rectangle, put four lines in it. And then you've got five rows. And then as you read the book, you add rows on because um, there's different questions. But, you know, for the listener, it's like, you can just think who in your life right now do you have an unresolved issue with, or there's a little bit of, or a lot of tension with? Could be a cousin from 20 years ago. It could be a parent when you were young. It could be a coworker from yesterday. It doesn't really matter. It's who do you want to be thinking about as you read this book or as you do this exercise? So it's important that we anchor are learning into real practical example, real life. Like, okay, who am I, where is this showing up in my life? Who am I still a little stuck with? And then we can fill this little box in. And um, some of the questions, like you said, are uh, what's their name? Um, what did they do to me in my perception? What do they do? This is kind of the blamey statement. They cheated on me. They lied to me. They didn't text me back, those kind of things. And then the next line would be, um, and what feeling does that bring up in you? Mad, sad, glad, afraid, et cetera. And then um, how triggered are you? Zero to 10 about this thing. I'm a two, it's not that big of a deal. Or I'm a seven, I'm pretty angry about it. Uh, and then how long has it been going on? 10 days, 10 years, you know, my whole life. Uh, what, get really specific, like how long has this been going on? And then we can start to go, wow, <laughs> 
I've had an unresolved issue with this person for that long. Like some of the people that I work with that fill this out, it's, it's, you know, decades. And I'm like, damn, do you know the costs on your body that you've been holding that in and you're not done with this? Like that's the, I try to throughout the book, remind people of the real life health costs when we don't address some of these challenges with other people, the interpersonal stress, you know, it weighs us down. It's called allostatic load and it's, it's harsh actually on us. So that hopefully will motivate people to, to try to get somewhere with this. Um, and then we can go into, yeah, personal responsibility. My part is, and the impact on them is there's a, the, the box just keeps going. Um, and I find it just a simple way to go, huh, okay, I've got this conflict with someone and do I, and it's this bad and do I want to deal with it or not? That's one of my questions is, you know, when it's been going on for so long um, or it doesn't feel safe, yeah. you know, to go to that person yeah. and we resolve these, how do we resolve these on our own? How do we let go? Does forgiveness need to happen or is that not part of it? You know, just yeah. some of your thoughts about this. Yeah, cool. Um, so let's assume that it's a family cutoff that happened 20 years ago or something that the person's too toxic and it's very unsafe for whatever reason, then we're probably going to make a wise choice to not text them or call them or even reach out to them. But if we're still feeling activated in the ex-partner or whoever it was that hurt us, and it's just, they're not coming to the table, it's kind of done. There are some things I can do on my own. And um, just to speak to forgiveness, that's certainly, if that works for you, forgiveness and, and doing your own forgiveness work might work. I, I find forgiveness is usually too conceptual and people um, can't get to genuine forgiveness. And it, forgiveness is tricky because it also implies that someone did something wrong. And then I always ask the question, according to who? Mm -hmm. um, according to your values, according to their values, they probably didn't think they did anything wrong. Um, so what do you mean they did something wrong? Um, and, and it's also very moralistic, right and wrong. And, and that's where people get really stuck in conflict is they, they stay in right and wrong. I'm right and you're wrong. And to me, that's lose-lose. Uh, to develop more capacity to get to zero in your own heart, it's like, okay, this bad thing happened. I'm. It kind of fucked me up for a long time. It was very hurtful and very damaging and took me years to recover or whatever. How can I, to me, the question isn't how can I get to forgiveness? It's how can I get to a place of gratitude for that ex life experience? Because if I can truly see that it made me stronger and made me a better person. And without it, actually, I wouldn't be who I am today. Perhaps I can entertain that I'm actually grateful for that experience, that negative experience. And I can reframe the entire thing to be very empowering for me, which is a place where I can't lose. Yeah. Yeah. And I have I, a series of questions that, you know, you can ask yourself in the book to try to get there. Got it. I think that could all go all the way up to like, unless it was like, severe abuse you know yeah and then we yeah. get into did that really thing did that thing make you stronger well yeah you know, and right? i make a disclaimer in the book i don't know if you noticed yeah. it up front yeah. which is basically saying look this is about trying to heal everyday conflicts this is not trauma resolution this is not um if you're in an abusive relationship this is not the solution you got to go get help and get out of that relationship so i'm and if this is about child abuse sexual abuse whatever like this is not the book to be reading Yes. This is about our everyday conflicts in our high stakes relationships. Great. I'm glad that this was just clarified and, yeah. you know, that this is 
really about the people that are most important to you in your yeah. life, you know, family yeah. members, team members, your community, um, and who you want to have healthy ongoing relationships with. Yeah. And right. These, this is a framework and these are tools to work with that. I haven't, I haven't seen a book like this. I haven't seen teachings like this. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And, I don't think that, yeah. I, I mean, that's why I wrote it. I'm like, this isn't happening, you know, and people are still recommending nonviolent communication, which that's fine, but it's like written in the eighties. And I just don't, we know so much more about the nervous system and attachment science. And there's just so much more we know now about uh, how to actually do this. So I, I wanted to bring together all this amazing research and also make it very user-friendly and street level. You have. And so how can folks find you? There's so much for us to talk about, Jason, but I think this was a really beautiful beginning piece. And of course, I want everyone to go get your book. This interview will go live on October 5th, the day um, Getting to Zero is going to be published. And how else can people find you and anything else you want our folks to know? Yeah, thanks, Barry. Um, it's been fun. I appreciate all your thorough summaries and questions here. Um, yeah, you can go to your local indie shop if that, um, if you'd like them and request it, be sent there. Um, some indie stores won't be carrying that, right? Um, a, a book like this. Uh, certainly it's all at the big places, Amazon and Barnes and Noble, et cetera, bookshop.org. Um, so depending on where you like to order books from, uh, and it's out today when this goes out. Um, so yeah, it's available and I'm psyched for you to dig in and have, even if you stick it on the shelf, um, you know, knowing that I probably will get into a conflict again with someone and this will, this will be my go-to thing. Yeah. Have, get it for that. Yeah. And people can find me, um, at relationshipschool.com. That's where our podcast is that Barry's been on before. Um, there's lots of links and resources, classes. Um, I'm on Instagram, pretty active on Instagram at Jason Gaddis, Jason with a Y. Yeah, those places. Thank you so much. This was awesome. It was yeah. wonderful. Thank you. Thank, yeah, thank you. Um, seriously, appreciate what you're doing as well. Hi again. Thank you so much for joining me today. What you heard here is a delicious sample of the loving guidance heartful inspiration, and practical tools you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. I hope you found something here to take with you, a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your own money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul-deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. You can find out more at barrytesler.com.